I'm Ben Shaw, and you're listening to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. Today we are celebrating episode 101 by welcoming back one of my favorite guests and my very first guest on the podcast, Captain Heather Richard. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Shearwater Sailing, a sailboat charter business run out of Monterey Bay by Kevin Wasbauer. Shearwater Sailing's flagship vessel is a fully equipped FAR 53 named Atalanta. And having been sailing on Monterey Bay aboard Atalanta, I can tell you she is a fun boat to sail. Atalanta is headed to Santa Barbara in August, and while the two-day trip down is already booked, there's still space available to join on August 16th for the trip back. But availability is limited, so act quickly. And Kevin will have Atalanta in Stillwater Cove by Pebble Beach for the big car show in August on the 19th and 21st. It's a great way to explore beautiful Carmel Bay and Point Lobos while taking in classic automobiles. Check shearwatersailing.net for details on this unique opportunity and all the other ways that you can go sailing with Kevin and Atalanta. You can reach out to Kevin directly by phone, 650-743-1389, or email him, info at shearwatersailing.net. Okay, Heather Richard is a good friend of mine and one of the key inspirations for this very podcast. She was my first guest, and I'm thrilled to have her back on the program. She lives in and runs a charter business in Sausalito called Fine Day for Sailing out of her lovely boat, Caradon. And if you're looking for a way to get out sailing on San Francisco Bay, I couldn't think of a better person to go with. A U.S. Coast Guard licensed captain, Heather's been sailing since the age of four. And more recently, she picked up windfoiling. We talk about that and her recent sailing trips down to Baja, homeschooling her three kids along the way, and her sailing plans for the future. So let's jump in. This is amazing. It's been three years. A hundred episodes. A hundred episodes since That's we were last crazy. talking. Good uh, episodes. I've listened good to a lot of Thank them. you. Thank you. Definitely. It's been fun. It's been a lot of uh, fun people. But I promised that I would have on the 100th episode, and we're a little past now the 100th, but I promised that I would have my very first guest from the podcast, Heather Richard, back on. So welcome. Welcome back. Thank you, Ben. But we're back aboard, Caradon. Yeah. And she hasn't changed much. She hasn't changed much, but she's been a lot of places. She's done a lot of miles. miles since we last talked. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So let's start there. Where have you been aboard Caradon since we last talked three years ago. So we've been to Mexico twice since then. Yeah. And um, we've done, I don't know how many miles. I. The oh, fir- well, gosh. You, I mean, you do charters every day, multiple charters. So, I mean, yeah. do you keep track of how many miles? Yeah, roughly. I sort of keep track of it more for maintenance purposes than anything else. I think I probably do somewhere upwards of like well definitely over 500 charters a year wow. so it's quite a lot of sailing and it's usually the same loop around the bay under yeah. the bridge down to alcatraz 
back to Sausalito, stay out of the fog, you know. Same loop, but I'm sure it's different every time. It's Boy. different every time. Yeah, definitely. And different people. Different people, yeah. And some repeat customers. So, like, you know, I'll do something slightly different if they've already been out with me before. I, I've been, I've lent you a hand once or twice, and that's always been what's fascinating to me is you have the aspect of sailing on the bay, yes, which I love, and the bay is always different, but the people, too, you're always, you're not really sure. It could be all kinds all of kinds things. Of people, yeah. It's cool because I, I think um, since I started hosting experiences on Airbnb, I'm getting this hugely diverse audience. Mm. So people who don't normally think about like renting a boat with a captain see it, on Airbnb when they book a stay somewhere nearby and, and they go, oh, oh, I, we, we could do that. I could try that. Oh, you know? We could go sailing. We could go sailing. And it's yeah. like it's people who don't grow up with any context whatsoever for sailing. So that's been amazing. That's really, really fun. Does it ever cause problems for you? No. People, people just have no idea. so they just... When people don't know what to expect, I just – really reef down and stay close to the, to Sausalito and I don't you know yeah. I don't take them out on the slot yeah um so you have to be able to judge people pretty well pretty quickly yeah yeah and being a mom is really helpful for that because you're used to reading yeah. kids and like reading their <laughs> comfort level by all kinds of nonverbal cues and, and saying no don't touch that <laughs> exactly <laughs> and and like you're always staying a couple of steps ahead of them of what what's going to happen next you know so you're like oh well you know they're going to get wet in about 10 minutes here or um, i <laughs> yeah. better warn them to hold on that power you know ferry boat wake is coming um, i just had that experience with my daughter who i said you know i really don't want you to walk across that little log on the stream because you're gonna get your feet wet no daddy i'm not yeah splash splash yeah exactly yeah Yeah. it's a lot like that (laughs) it's just like having kids but you know you you just kind of have to look at their faces and and figure out if it's a smile of terror or a smile of pure joy. <laughs> and then do we keep going or do we turn around and dry off? <laughs> what are some of the crazier situations you've had with guests aboard? So I, I did have one situation, actually not on this boat, on a, on a bigger charter boat that I was running for a different company, but a bunch of parents and a bunch of eight-year-olds. It was an eight-year-old birthday and the parents were clearly just there to sort of like drink and party mm. and let the kids run amok. And oh, gosh. I think they kind of just just decided to, I don't know, they just sort of turned off and the kids were all over the place. And um, they insisted that we go under the bridge. And I was a little worried because we had a tanker coming. There was a pretty big wake behind this particular tanker um and i asked all of the parents to get their kids off the foredeck and bring them back to the cockpit before we got to the wake they weren't really listening and they weren't really paying attention and i was like no really i need you to get your kids back here now seated please and i was being really extra polite and i should have probably just used my like firm captain's voice yeah and i ended up sending my crew i did have crew on that particular boat um up to the foredeck to be, just be with the kids and stand by. And sure enough, one of them very nearly went overboard. Oh, gosh. Um, wearing a life jacket. But we had we had a kid 
literally grabbed by the ankle before he went overboard and it was really scary the parents woke up and they started to pay attention i bet <laughs> real quick yeah. and it was not fun for me to be in that position where i was just kind of like hey i told you to get your kids under control and get them back here and you didn't and here's where we are now but it was that was like out of thousands and thousands of trips on the bay sure and actually nothing nothing actually did go wrong it was just a very close call well and very, you were in control of the the situation it was simply that they weren't listening it's, it's to just you. that they weren't you listening you knew what was going to happen yeah. yeah yeah so and and these parents were just kind of checked out for the yeah. afternoon unfortunately and and it it could the exception not the rule it was the exception yeah yeah, yeah totally yeah. But, but that's what I asked. I asked for the good story. So yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't have any like really bad things good. to tell you because that's good. You don't want to have the sea stories afterwards. I you don't. Know? You no. want to have the boring. It was a good sail. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the miles you did south because until recently, I actually hadn't sailed down the coast much here, and I haven't yet gotten all the way down to Baja, and I'm excited to do that at some point. You're gonna love um, it. Oh, I can't wait. I yeah. can't wait. That's Although awesome. I did have a buddy recently, the friend who I was telling you before we started, um, an old sailing buddy was like, don't get stuck in Baja. There are a lot of people stuck in Baja. Yeah. I can say that. Yeah. Sure. It's hard getting back up. I just did a horrible delivery back up the coast that yeah. was this just, you know, it was one of those where like they wanted it done at a particular time and the timing wasn't all that flexible. And so we just went and we, we really got bashed yeah. hard. Toughest job I've ever done, I think. We had consistent 30 knots on the nose for five days straight. Oh, and gosh. we and we ha and we burnt up so much fuel. We ended up having to do a fuel stop in San Quintin, which is not an easy place to get fuel. But we had no choice. It was just yeah, not fun. So I I understand why people get stuck in Baja. Yeah. Um, it's a reality. If you have the time, it's easy to just wait, and there will yeah. be a weather window. But you know, a lot of people don't want to wait for a whole month because sometimes that's what it takes. And this delivery was tough because you had to. We just had, had to go. You had yeah. to go. Yeah. So, um, and I was trying really hard not to beat the boat up. So let's talk about your trip down on th on this boat. You did that twice. Yeah. So the first time um, we sailed all the way down to, well, we, we kind of hopped and took our time all the way down around to La Paz. We left um, right after Fleet Week. Okay. Took off and made our way pretty slowly down. And okay. And I think we arrived in Ensenada at Christmas, really slowly down. Yeah. And then we were in La Paz in February. You know, we kind of took our time going down and getting to know the coast, which was really great to get to know, like, both the California and the Baja Sur coast as well. So I, f I feel pretty confident, like, coming up and down now that I've I pulled into most of the little tiny towns in Baja and um, explored a lot of the coastline. It's a long coast. It's a mm. it's a massive amount of miles to cover, really. Yeah. But in a good way. I and like super enjoyed meeting the local people in Baja because it's it's just a slow pace of life there. Like I mean, people there's not there's there's internet but there's not like a ton of technology it's still in some places somewhat primitive um infrastructure um and so you you know people live very like 
it's it's not a rat race it's a nice pace of that's life that's nice yeah. yeah people are super friendly and what's provisioning like do you is there usually s- i mean i love mexican food so yeah. we had no problem provisioning we we weren't looking for american stuff necessarily yeah. um and you you can get all the good veggies and fruits at the farmers markets that's down great. there and there's and there's all the staples of beans and tortillas and rice and that kind of stuff. A little harder if you're trying to find American food. Yeah. Like you're not going to get a box of mac and cheese. Well, you're not in America. I don't but, know. You know. People are expecting that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Stock up if you're Stock expecting. Stock up. Yeah. Exactly. If you have something that you really can't live without. No, but it's it's pretty easy actually. There's a ton of fishing villages, and then they, you know, everybody has to eat, so there's food everywhere and. Water is a little bit bigger issue. There, okay. Some of the towns um, have desalination plants that have gone out of service, mm-hmm. and they don't have the infrastructure. So you have to buy water, and mm-hmm. it can get expensive if you don't have a water maker on your boat. So I think, yeah. I think the next time we go down, we'll put a water maker on board. We haven't had one, and we didn't really, really need one, but there was one time when I ended up bartering some of our diesel for someone else's water. Um, well, we should talk about that because I'm in the midst of – installing one right now yeah on my boat. yeah yeah i just increased our tankage before we went down with a couple of big bladders and yeah. that, that helped tremendously so that's great i thoroughly enjoyed baja and then when we crossed over to the mainland it was a bit of a culture shock we pulled into mazatlan during carnival mm-hmm. um which was super fun but it was like completely different it was loud and fast and so many people and costumes half naked dancing people in the street it was amazing the kids were blown away (laughs) and they loved it and it was just it was super fun especially for my teenagers because all of a sudden they were in party town and you know that they were ready for that so so. on that first trip you had um two kids all three all three kids with you okay yes and my ex-husband sort of started with us but Build ship. We don't have to get. We don't have to get into that. (laughs) (laughs) um, So I carried on with the kid, with the three kids, and we picked up some crew, um, who I'm still really good friends with today, and saw him on the last trip down to Mexico, because he ended up meeting a local Mexican girl and marrying her. Wow! Kids. So. Oh my um, gosh! Wait. So you picked it? Picked him up where? I picked him up in La Paz. Uh He was um, a young French kid who had just graduated from engineering school and was backpacking and he didn't know how to sail did you put up a notice on a bulletin board i did did i put up a notice in the cruisers library in la paz and he responded and you know he got along really well with all three of the kids and i was like all right which is more important than him knowing how to sail because you can teach him how to sail you can't teach him how to get along with the kids exactly exactly um and I figured, you know, he's an engineer. He can probably understand these things fairly easily. And sure enough, like within two weeks, he was doing great. You know, he's standing watches by himself and doing great. Um, really smart guy anyway. And and super sweet and very low. He was very minimalist. So he, he like uh-huh. literally came with a teeny tiny backpack and had no stuff, which was kind of refreshing. A, a great athlete, too. Like he wow. was just a great athlete, great waterman. He he took to sailing instantly and we lucked out so. has he kept up the sailing at all down in Mexico? no but he's a dive guide now and oh. um he's doing dive uh he takes groups of french travelers on dive trips in, in la paz in the 
you know, that whole area down there. And they just bought some property in El Sargento, and they're building their own house. And, yeah. So, nice. so that was cool. We ended up with, and he was supposed to just cross the Sea of Cortez with us. I just wanted someone for the crossing. Yeah. And he ended up staying with us for like five weeks because we all got along so well and, you know, worked for him, worked for us. So that's the magic of the sailing community, right? Yeah. I was, we, I was just before we started, I was sharing a story about a, an old sailing buddy from, that my dad had from the 60s who I'm still friends with. Yep. Because he just became part of the family. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. You, know, you sort of yeah. stay connected forever yeah. in this community. And you it. never know when you're going to run into somebody again, too, in right. the world. Anywhere in the world. Anywhere right. in the yeah, world. That's yeah. The... <laughs> yeah, which is amazing. I mean, I do. I run into people that I knew in my 20s all over the place. Yeah. kind of cool. And we made some really good buddy boat friends that we're still f- close to and see as well. Um, and the kids made other cruising friends which we still keep in touch with and that was all pre-covid it was pre-covid yeah for sure um and then i guess you know we can't so we we made it down to la cruz spent a little time there and then decided all right i gotta go home and deal with all the custody issues and all that stuff so um so we made it back up here and i started working again and put the boat back in charter and gave the kids the option of whether they wanted to continue homeschooling or go back to regular school. And they all wanted to continue homeschooling for a little while. Julius, my middle child, decided um, just this year after COVID that he was done with the whole isolation thing and he wanted more of a social life. And so he enrolled in Tam High and joined the Tam High sailing team and the band and plays in the rock band. And awesome. So that, that's been kind of an interesting transition, watching a kid go from full-time homeschooling for the last six years into back into public school. I love that you gave him the choice of yeah. doing that. And he I mean, picked it was the a right time. Yeah, I'm but, sure. I'm you know, sure. As you can imagine. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been great for him. It's been, it's been the right thing for him for sure. That's so great. Um, yeah, and then I've been homeschooling the other two kids, and and it's going fairly well. Ava just passed her high school proficiency exams. And Congrats. she's enrolling in College of Marine classes for the fall, so she's sort of – and she got herself an art studio, and she's making a ton of art. So Talk a little bit more about how you did the homeschooling. Hmm, yeah, that, that's always a question for parents. I, I – so fortunately for me, I'm a trained teacher. I used to be a high school teacher. I morphed into a sailing coach, high school sailing coach, and then into a charter boat captain from there. Mm-hmm. It's all teaching. It's all teaching. And I have because I have the teaching background, like I understand learning styles and I understand how each kid's going to learn a little differently from the other. Um, and so I've ki- I kind of let the kids go with their interests uh-huh. what works for one kid isn't necessarily going to work for another yeah um we tried a lot of things that didn't work so a lot of trial and error did you have curriculums or did you just pull things together i yourself? initially bought curriculum from a philosophy a waldorf philosophy uh-huh. that i particularly like and then we found the places where that curriculum failed and didn't really work and we we transitioned into something else like we like we would find something else where it did work we stuck with it yeah um and i think with sawyer now the youngest he's in he's going into second grade 
his strength are kind of different from the the older two kids and and he's never experienced public school i think a lot of what happened with ava and julius when i started homeschooling them they had to unlearn mm. what they thought school was mm-hmm. and i had to figure out how to teach them in a way that they accepted as learning yeah and so we did some things like julius built a boat it was a project that he did during covid during quarantine with me and it was intensive and it was a lot of time together we argued a lot but we had to push through problems and it was it was this project that integrated all kinds of critical thinking skills he didn't know what he was learning right by doing that and you have to be okay with that like you have in school there's okay here's the goal how do we get to that goal what are we going to learn sometimes you just need to throw kids into something and knowing trusting that they're going to learn from the experience but not knowing what the outcome's going to be like yeah. what exactly are they going to learn from that you don't know until you've done it sometimes yeah. and that's the beauty of homeschooling you can you can do that and you can look back on it and go okay what did we learn and then you do still have to cover all of the California state standards. Like I needed to make sure that Ava had a sufficient amount of history knowledge, California history, U.S. history, world history. And so how are we going to get there? Like yeah. how are we going to make sure she was exposed to all of that? And then everybody always says, well, what about social skills? Are they socialized? Yeah. And yeah. So you just prioritize friends and friendships. And when there's other kid boats that have kids on them, maybe you change your course and you just go where that boat's going next. (laughs) And you don't follow. Was that a big part of either your first or your second trip down? Oh, both both times. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So the first time we went down, um, we met up with, two kid boats unfortunately we didn't get any older kids for ava so they were all younger kids so it, you know the boys got really nice friendships out of it what's the age of most of the kids who are out there on cruising boats if you can generalize i don't know just not teenagers they're mm-hmm. all ages except teenagers mm. um, and i don't know why but i feel like a lot of parents get to high school and have a very hard time homeschooling high school Mm. And I don't know if it's the parent-student dynamic or if it's that they feel that they won't get into college if they've been homeschooled all the way through or if they feel that it's just too hard. Like the course material and content is just too hard. I did find things really hard. So for for Ava, for biology, for example, like I couldn't find a lab biology class that I, as a non-biologist, could teach her at home. Um, now we got really creative, and I sent her to Honduras, and she did a... That's right. <laughs> she did a couple of months of diving on a coral reef and um, rest- like growing underwater coral reef gardens and restoring mangrove forests <laughs> and working with scientists. So she did real biology. I want to go to this school. I know, right? It was great. <laughs> so she did, like, you know, real field, actual work with real biologists and that was her high school biology credit but that takes a lot of organization yeah and it takes and it took some money for me to make that happen and 
commitment from her to, you know, during COVID to travel. Right. Um, so that was a big deal. And then um, also for, she also did a, another, like a whole semester down in Costa Rica as well. Um, and that was a whole different, you know, credit, like source of credits to get her through high school and um, Spanish immersion and that kind of stuff. And um, so it kind of, takes some major creativity to homeschool high schoolers yeah and major commitment and it's hard um and math and things like that like if you're not i mean i haven't done calculus and i haven't even done geometry since high school i don't know somehow we've managed to kind of pull it off and yeah. it's been okay and yeah, more power um, to you i'm impressed. it's been it's been not easy but it's been it's been okay you've made it work out yeah yeah so was the second trip you knew the route. You knew I knew where, the route. I knew, knew where we places. wanted to go again. Yeah. And um, honestly, we we didn't go as far um, because I wanted to also do a haul out in Ensenada. So right. it was much, much cheaper to do a haul out down there than up here. And they weren't as backed up with COVID and all that. And um, the work that I wanted done on the boat was kind of like exactly what they are good at down there. So, um we parked the boat at the shipyard mm -hmm. and my one of my crew members um had flown back or i put him on a train actually and he came back up grabbed my car with the tent on the roof so we have like oh, a rooftop cool. tent on our yeah. prius drove down picked us up at the shipyard and then we road tripped through baja for a month while oh, the boat got painted how perfect it was amazing. And during that time, we had a bunch of other homeschool families that met us down there. So we were, like, traveling in kind of a, I don't know, like a caravan with all these other kids. And it was, like, land cruising. Um, so it was it was super fun. It was a little deviation from sailing. but. And then what happened to the car when you went back to the boat? So we got back to the boat. My, it was a little bit of a juggling act my my one of my crew took the car over the border uh-huh i with my son i sailed the boat solo over the border then my mom came down and grabbed the car for us and we swapped and my crew got back on board and we sailed it home so it was you know lots of logistics lots of logistics that's great though you made it work totally worked <laughs> yeah and you needed time. You didn't go as far because you had to learn to wing foil. While you were in right. Last that time. was a huge goal. <laughs> wing was foiling. it a goal before you went down or was yeah. it something that just happened? No. No. It no. Was a goal. I, I like, so since wing foiling was invented, okay, so going way, way back. Back up. Like, yeah. Back up. Like 1999, I tried kiteboarding mm -hmm. for the first time mm -hmm. and in those days i sound really old saying that in those days but <laughs> in those days um they only had two-line kites they hadn't really invented the four-line kites yet uh -huh. and so there's no really good way to depower the kite except to like pull it up into the you know no-go zone up, up or the neutral zone i guess above your head i was on borrowed gear and i didn't really have the right size kite for my body weight. I was like on a, you know, my friend's kite, which was too big for me. Mm -hmm. 
and I went off of Chrissy Field, which is pretty advanced. And um, I'd been out a few times, so like I, you know, I had some time on it, and I was feeling okay about it. But mm-hmm. um, long story short, I dislocated both my shoulders at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and had to swim to shore with dislocated shoulders. Wait, okay. Let's not. <laughs> let's make this story a little longer. So the kite yeah. goes up. You're holding on both. I get, I get a huge gust all yeah. of a sudden. I'm holding on to the, the kite lines. I can't depower it fast enough. Uh-huh. And I didn't want to let go. And I didn't want to let go because it was my friend's gear. Right. And you didn't want to I didn't want to like lose the gear. Yeah. And there was no chicken loop or anything that they have nowadays. It was just this like crazy simple two-line kite i basically just held on for dear life and ended up dislocating my shoulders did you feel them oh yeah oh it was extreme excruciatingly painful and then i had to swim to shore with With dislocated shoulders how with my i kicked i just like draped my arms over the board and i kicked my way back in and it was miserable so i vowed not to kite again after that and I kind of gave up on the whole idea. Oh, okay, well, good. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. And then how did they get relocated? Did oh, they the, pop back themselves? No, did they... no. My friends called the EMS, and then ambulance came, and they carted me off and dealt with it in the emergency oh, room. Oh, God. So it was horrible. So that you said that's the end of my kiting I was like, not, no, not for me. I'm not kiting. I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. So when wing foiling. When did you first see wing foiling? I saw it... um, Because you're out on the bay here every day. Yeah, yeah. I I, I saw it, like, right when it first started, basically, when it first caught on. Um, I guess it was about three years ago, three and a half, four years ago, maybe. Yeah. Um, And... And the guys who were doing it initially, I mean, some of the... Some of the kids that are... That I coached back, like, when I was in my 20s are now some of the top foilers out there. So I, I've, I've watched these kids grow up, and um, as soon as wing foiling came out, I was like, oh, I can do that. That's what I want to do. That is definitely what I'm going to do. Um, and it just looks so much easier and safer, and yeah, um, it just felt like uh, not – I without strings attached, you know, and you're, no strings no attached. No strings attached. It just sounds better even. But I – I I was like bound and determined to get back into some high speed sailing. I I you know I've been I've been sort of out of the racing scene for so long, and I've been craving. Maybe it's a midlife crisis I'm having, <laughs> but like I've been craving a little adrenaline rush. And um, the need for speed. The need for speed again, and the foiling is definitely fulfilling that. Definitely. So, so tell me about the learning curve down in Mexico. Is it? It's a good place to learn. It's a great place to learn. So, we spent um, almost a month. I'm at, asking because you let me borrow learn. some of your gear, and <laughs> yeah. I am hooked now. Exactly. I know. <laughs> Not that I have the time for another hobby with two children and a boat I'm trying to refit, but uh, uh, you're, you're, it's, as my wife reminds me regularly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> Sorry. But I'm hooked. Yeah, it's it's addictive, man. It just said it's like the purest form of sailing I've ever done. And it is so close to flying, you know, it's just like this floaty flying feeling that you can't ah, I can't express it. I just have a grin from ear to ear when I'm oh. out there and I'm hooping and hollering like a little kid. I'm like, you and my friends are out and we're just having a blast. That's and and you great. don't think of anything else. You're out there and like 
you are not thinking of that thing you need to do yesterday that you didn't get done. You're not thinking of your shopping list or your like, oh, I got to write that down before I forget it. Or you like, are in the you moment. are so completely in the moment. And that's what I love about it. I haven't been like that since I, since I raced in college, wow. to be honest. So there yeah. is something special about the foil. I, I vividly remember driving over the Golden Gate Bridge. And I shouldn't have been looking over the side because I was driving, but I always do. And I looked over and I looked again because I, I think it was a windsurfer, but there was no wake. Right. Yeah. And they were just, they were speeding along oh, and yeah. there was no wake. It looked like they were flying. They were yeah. floating over the They're water. Floating. Yeah. There's no drag. So and, there's no wake. Um, and then... And then sailing out here, mm-hmm. what the other the thing that impressed me about the wing foiling is, they all come up like moths oh, yeah. to any boat. Yeah, and, and we, I was on wake. a sailboat, and they were riding the wake of a sailboat. It doesn't boat. take much at all. And that's how it just it got does me. Not take just much. Amazing. I looked back. I was like, wait a second, he's can, riding my wake. You can foil on nothing. You know, it's just it's incredible, and it's such a cool feeling. It's an incredible feeling. Yeah. So addictive. You drop the wing and you're just floating along on, yeah. the, on the foil. Yeah. All you need is like something with a little power in it, you know? That's so cool. Yeah. That's Once so you cool. get rid of the drag, it takes yeah. so little to stay on foil. You know, you need some power, but it's so little. It's such a just awesome feeling. Yeah, that's what's really... And I'm imp- still learning. Like I'm not... I'm, I'm, I'm by no means good at it yet, but I can get out there and go mm-hmm. in any condition now and get upwind, get downwind, get back to the beach. Well, if you can get out at Chrissy Field, I mean. Yeah. It's intense, but since I sail there every day, mm. I, I know it, and it's mm-hmm. not, you know, because of that, it's not yeah. that intense. Yeah. You just know it. Yeah. And the community, I got to say that the the wing foiling community, I think because it's a new sport and everybody's new, I mean, there's people who are really, really good. Like Johnny Heineken is ridiculously good. Yeah. Um, Joey Pasquale. I mean, those are kids that used to be on the sailing team that I coached years ago. Yeah. They are so good at it. And they just make it look so effortless and easy. And they can just, you know, whip around tacks and jibes and fly the thing up and over their head and to the other hand and switch feet. And, you know, they're just spinning in circles like 360s super fast. But then again... Like everybody is still actually learning because it is only a couple years old. Yeah. And so there's this camaraderie between wingers that you do not find in other sports because it's like people are just kind of cheering each other on, you know? Yeah. Trying new things, Trying sharing new things. ideas. And there's no shortage of space out there to play in. And so it's mm-hmm. not like going to Ocean Beach or you know, Cronkite, where every surfer is fighting for the same wave and there's mm. not really enough room for more people. It, there's no territorialness of it. It's not, there's no aggression. It's like, you know, people offer each other a beer in the parking lot at Chrissy Field at the end of the day and you're like, wow, this is awesome. I want to be part of this. Is I mean, it's spread now all over the world oh yeah it's everywhere but was the where was the epicenter of it i think maui is where it really started yeah um and then shortly thereafter here and i don't know what the scene was like in europe i know that like tenerife all these there's a bunch of places around um 
definitely down in La Ventana, Mexico is a yeah. is a hub. It's always been a kiting spot, and so you know there are people who've come to winging from. Most of them have come from kiting, I would say. Mm -hmm. Some surfers are coming to it because you can surf an endless wave if you have a wing to get yourself back up oh, and over without having to paddle. I was just watching a video yesterday. You know, like the guy gets up, drops the wing, and is surfing and only uses it to you know, get back get, to the next wave. Exactly. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a big deal um, for surfers. And then there's even like... I would say there's a handful of people that are just pure sailors like me that are taking it up because you can carry all this gear on your sailboat well, and launch from the boat. Well, that's what attracts me. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to I, – I can carry a whole lot less gear and have a lot of fun and a huge wind range. I mean, I can go out in anything from like 8 knots to 35 knots. I actually was up at Sherman Island recently, and it was mm -hmm. blowing over 30 knots steady. Mm really really blowing and i was having a blast you know and like normally you just you kind of get to that point and you're like you can't go out sailing yeah and have fun it's yeah. it's sort of do or die but, but you can also do it really light wind too. but you can do it in super light wind yeah what about gusty conditions like yeah sure like, yeah yeah well i mean you just have to you have to be, get up be twitchy with it yeah you know? yeah, yeah. And, like be ready oh Man. Oh yeah, you can kind of do it anywhere and any almost anything, and it it can yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. It, it, might, it is it, slightly expensive, I will say. Yeah, it is the good, there's a little bit of an entry stuff. fee to get into. Definitely, yeah. it's not. The gears is it still changing? Oh rapidly? yeah, the gears changing. I the biggest thing I'm seeing, um, the board shapes are mm -hmm. vary a lot, and. Mm. And I, I have sort of an exciting project. I'm going to build my own board this Ooh, fall. Cool. Yeah. Um, but the and why? Because you want because I want to play shape? with the board shapes a little okay. bit. Yeah. Um, and then the foil shapes are changing too. Like I, it, it's noticeable. Some some foils are just faster, um, and some are floatier and cruisier. You know, and some seem to be easier for beginners to learn on and then some seem to be more like f better for going upwind and mm -hmm. you know so the foil shapes are always evolving are always going to evolve i'm sure yeah um just like yacht design it's no yeah. different all right so i was gonna ask you where in the world you're eager to sail in the future but now i'm gonna change that question to where in the world are you eager to sail and wing foil. And wing foil. <laughs> I know, because they're definitely going to go together. So I have a couple bucket list places for sure. Um, I was in Japan in my early 20s, and I'm dying to go back to Japan and sail. Yeah. I'd really like to go cruise Japan for at least a season, like a good six months. So um, Kind of undiscovered territory. Undiscovered territory, yeah. And, I mean, there's just not that many people cruising around yeah, over there yeah and it's stunningly beautiful i love the food i love the culture i love the art there so and i have a tiny bit of language skills somewhere back in deep in my brain um and i'd really like to take my kids there if yeah. they still want to sail with me at that age but <laughs> they'll be in there my older kids will be in their 20s by that time i'm sure and then sawyer will be like in his early teens um by the time I it'll think be, I be past that hump of not wanting to yeah. Be with mom. Maybe. Yeah. 
be clamoring to be back on the boat. Maybe, yeah. I hope so. I really hope so. But I, I'd love to go Hawaii, Japan, Alaska, and mm. then someday I'd really like to sail the Northwest Passage, yeah. but not too far in the future. I want to do it soon before the shipping route becomes open for cargo. Um, and it's we're, we're on the verge of that right now, and I want to go before that changes. Yeah, it could be... It could get busy up there, I guess. It could get busy and it could get polluted. I want to see it before yeah. it gets polluted, unfortunately. Yeah. It's kind That's of true. An, an inevitability in our world these days. And then climate change is going to make make the Arctic a very different place very quickly. So It wasn't I, that long ago that... You, you couldn't know, even get you through. You couldn't get through. Yeah, yeah. And, and then boats started going through. And and we had a couple of years where a lot of boats made it through because it was just wide open and melting. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see what happens. But I'd really like to sail through the Northwest Passage. I'd, I'd also like to go to Patagonia someday. But maybe that's like down the road further. Maybe in a bigger boat. Is there a dream as a sailor of the horn? Is that a, sure. not a draw to you? Yeah. yeah, that's a draw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd like to do the Arctic first, though. Yeah. I'd like to kind of cut my teeth on ice conditions when there's also not as much wind and swell. Because once you get down to Antarctica and the horn in that area, you've just got everything. Yeah. You, yeah. It's, you've got, you got it all, all down there. Um, so yeah. it's kind of nice to learn things in smaller chunks. For me, I think doing an Arctic passage first would be key to understanding ice and how to read ice charts and how to like navigate through different kinds of ice and then you add the southern ocean to that yeah (laughs) unpredictable weather huge swell yep cold water yep and i will definitely be picking my buddy randall's brain on that one a lot yes Yes, he has a lot to offer there randall reeves yeah all great places and i hope that the timing works out that we are crossing paths in the Pacific at some point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. It's so fun when you have kids, like, I don't know. It's just really fun to have families cruising together with kids the same age and um, kind of watch them grow and change on route. It's different than it's different than when you're stationary, you know? Yeah. Like, you just form a very different bond with other families that are kind of on the move on a boat. It's a very different and very tight bond that you form with them. There's I something think. about the intensity of which, not, you know, whether it's kids or not, that when you meet somebody with traveling or cruising, you know, you just have to make those connections quickly. And, you kind of need each for, other. Fiercely, yeah. Yeah. You, when you need each other, it's a different kind of a bond, I think, yeah. than when you're just hanging out at a birthday party or something. Right. People know? are looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been fantastic, and we'll do it again. Maybe at two hundred, maybe at a hundred, maybe before. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll have some better stories. You got always got great stories. <laughs> always got great stories. So we will definitely be doing a, a lot of sailing between now and then. So. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you want to find more information about Heather and her charter business and go sailing with her, check out findayforsailing.com. That's findayforsailing.com. As always, 
I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Thanks for listening. You can find me at OutTheGateSailing on Instagram. And always, you can reach me by email at OutTheGateSailing at gmail.com. I love hearing from listeners. Until next time, smooth sailing.